0: This is Dwight Powell of the Dallas Mavericks, and you're listening to Numbers on the Boards with Bobby Carla and Jeff Skinn-Wade. Dwight, dude, he had one job, man. It's Corella. Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, your weekly Dallas Mavericks podcast. My name is Bobby Karela. I'm from Mavs.com and all over the internet. Joining me today... For this all star edition of Numbers on the Boards. Yeah, man. Is the leading vote getter huh. from this podcast. Yes. He's on mic number one today, and he's mm. number one in everyone's heart. He is Jeff skinwade A plug one, a plug one. Hello, everybody.
1: Jeff skinwade of the legendary Ben and Skin Show, the Dallas Mavericks broadcast, and of course, Numbers on the Boards. Wow. I heard we're the number one podcast in the universe. According I, I to heard some the same people. Thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Someone said that. Someone said that somewhere. I think you did. I probably said that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. You called your own radio show legendary. Yeah. Which is true, by the way. Yeah. But it shows that you've got confidence. Yeah. What's up, ladies? Hey. Hey. And fellas too. I don't want to. Yeah, sure. I don't want to. Yeah. Dude, everybody. It's uh, we're an equal opportunity podcast. Yeah, man. We everyone just loves basketball, you know, and and loves you. Oh, you skin. too, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, okay. So skin. I hate to start the show on a somber note, but Don Carter the first ever owner of the Mavericks, mm-hmm. the man who is in many ways responsible for bringing basketball to Dallas and yes. basketball to Dallas passed yes. away on Wednesday night. He was 84 years old. Um, I don't believe I ever had the pleasure of meeting him over the years, mm-hmm. but skin uh, just based on everybody's reaction, reading Dwayne's article on mavs.com where he talked to guys who were with the team back then mm-hmm. um, having my mom, you know who worked for uh the Mavericks all throughout the 80s and 90s whenever uh Don was around just hearing kind of her stories about him just really seemed like an an unbelievable guy a really nice guy and I'm hoping you know since you were kind of around at that time maybe you have some some stories or some thoughts
1: yeah i have more thoughts i mean by the time that i was sort of working with the mavs he had already sold the team but you know my dad was a season ticket holder in the 80s so i had met Don Carter at you know events and things like that, and he was a great man, and I do know a lot of people that know him. And a lot of my opinion about him is actually informed by things Harp has told me about him. And one of the things I do know, and I think this is a really cool thing, so it was actually his wife, Linda, that was the passionate basketball fan. And so in a lot of ways, the Mavericks are in Dallas. because The main people are Norm Sanju, and I would say the Carters, Don and Linda Carter. And for older people my age, no, I don't mean Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman. Uh, Linda Carter, the wife of, of Don Carter. And so it was real obvious to me when he wasn't able to come to uh, Derek Harper's Jersey retirement that, you know, I'd heard his health was bad and people knew that, but that he was a guy that loved the players so much. Now it's a different era, and we always think about Cuban and his – interaction with players and the way that that whole thing works and all of that. But Don was like – I mean, he was kind of like a grandfather to all those guys. I don't want to get in here and say he was like a father figure because those are, you know, real personal uh, dynamics. But I've never heard anyone that was associated with that time period not just have total love for him. And I think if you were to talk about a weakness or a fault, it was like maybe he loved the guys too much and he cared too much and he was so – emotionally invested in Roy Tarpley and making sure Roy Tarpley was, you know, healthy and in a good place with his, his demons. And, uh, he was a great guy and he brought along with Norm Sanju, they brought basketball to Dallas. And so, you know, we're in this, uh, day and age where it's almost like a famous person passes away once every couple of days because we're in the heart. You know, if you look at the history of pop culture, Well, the original pop culture movement or youth culture movement is the late 40s and early 50s. Well, so many of these people are passing away on and on and on that, you know, you were accustomed to famous people passing away on a regular basis. But this is, to me, a case where a famous person that directly impacted my life, like changed the course of my life. Him getting this basketball team here has changed the course of my life. So he's not like. friend or an associate or something like that but I I was certainly moved by him passing away just because man that's I don't I don't have a whole lot of my life that doesn't have the Dallas Mavericks in it you know they came here when I was 10 Mm -hmm. Uh, so and I'm 46 now so it's like that's my whole life man so yeah I mean I, I think and you know the first person I saw tweeting about it was Brad Townsend well Brad's covered the team and all these things, and all these guys that have covered the team. And you saw them when they they came back for Harp's jersey retirement, guys that have been gone.
0: Uh, Everybody universally loved Don Carter. Great, great man. Mm. Well, and you said, you know, the Mavs have been around since you were 10 years old. But for me, the Mavs have been around for my entire life. So, you know, without Don Carter, there are no Mavericks. There's no Dirk. There's no Mark Cuban. There's no American Airlines Center. No 2011. I mean, some of, like, your favorite – our favorite memories of our lives – would never have happened without this man. For sure. And I want to throw us, you, th- you said two things that I
1: loved. Uh, number one, I thought it was awesome that Cuban, you know, up there on that stage in Miami, you know, presented that trophy to Don that Carter. That was great. That, in wearing the hat. Like, so freaking that was, cool. That was so awesome. And then number two, uh, you, you said something about your whole life having the Mavs. I want, uh, so I know a lot of our, our listeners are probably younger folks. And one thing I want them to realize so when I was, when the Mavericks got here, My favorite team was the Philadelphia 76ers because of Dr. J. But also, back then, there were three teams that were on television, maybe four, and maybe once a week, maybe, until the playoffs got there. And it was the Lakers, the Celtics, the Sixers, and then the Lakers were usually playing the Spurs. The Spurs had George Gervin and Artis Gilmore and Mike Mitchell and Johnny Moore, and they were a great, fun team. But my point is, when you were a kid my age – you were either a Celtics fan, a Lakers fan, or a Sixers fan, and I love Dr. J, so I was a Sixers fan. But if you, when the Mavericks got here, see, I'm lucky. My dad had season tickets by year two, so I didn't go to the Abdul Jelani game, or I didn't see any of the first year of the Dallas Mavericks. If there's
0: one year to miss, yeah, but it might I, as well be that one. I'm
1: not going to front and go, well, I don't, I didn't see one of those games, mm-hmm. and those games they weren't on television. Uh, but I got lucky that year two my dad had season tickets, so I started seeing every game, and I was actually there for – people will tell you they were there at Moody Madness. That's a lie. There was fewer than 10,000 people there. Mm. That's how Steve Letson – I don't know if you know – a lot of people probably heard to say his name. Steve Letson, uh, who's uh, a legendary – Titan
0: within t- this organization. Titan within
1: this organization. In fact, I texted Letson the other night to confirm Bill Walton calling games for the Mavs. And if, like, If I ever want to know something that happened about the Mavericks – I either reach out to Steve Letson, Keith Grant, or Patricia Bender, who, who has been cataloging things for all these years. People don't know her, but she's amazing. But Steve told me when and where and all that, so I was trying to remember that. But Steve Letson was actually the guy that worked – I don't know if he worked for SMU – But his job was to get the seventeen thousand and seven season ticket holder, seventeen thousand and seven fans from Reunion Arena into the nine thousand and whatever seat Moody Madness. Don't envy that job. Uh, And think about that. That was an NBA playoff game, Game Five. Back then, the opening round was five games, uh, best of you know, best of five, and it got bumped because of a tennis tournament at Reunion Arena, (laughs) an NBA playoff game. So I'm telling all of this to tell you, folks, that you are so lucky to live in the day and age where you can find an NBA game every single night. Because when you were – when I was 15, hey, uh, have you seen uh, Mark Jackson? He's having an incredible rookie year for the Knicks. No, I have. Uh, I might see two games all year long. Mm-hmm. It's just different now. We're in the day and age where we can see it all the time,
0: and it's awesome. Well, and that's part of what made – this is something that Norm uh, Sanju talked about in, in Dwayne's article and stories that I've heard over the years just from people that I've talked to is like – At the time, man, this is 1979 when they're trying to to make a team, 1980 when they had their maiden season. Mm -hmm. The NBA was like, it was tape delay NBA finals. It was not a good time to be buying into the NBA, and that was also at the the peak of a really bad economic recession. So it was just a really kind of a risky move. Let
1: me, okay, so you're bringing up so many memories because... Like, even, you know, you'll see this more as you get older. Bobby's a young man. Uh, I'm an old guy, so I do a lot of reflecting. You don't look it, man. Uh, Well, thank you. You're nice. But one of my first television memories, I think of things that I saw on TV. Back then, there were four channels, three major networks and PBS. And then maybe you had a local affiliate or whatever. Um, But my first TV memories are, one, being able to stay up. I'm aside from kids' TV, Sesame Street. But being able to stay up late, my parents let me watch Saturday Night Live that had Bill Murray nice. and all those guys. Nice. But number two, the newscast would come on every night, six o'clock news, and they would show these this footage of people waiting in line that go all around all down the block in their cars to get gas. There was a yeah. gas shortage. Okay, and then we had the. Uh, uh there was this deal where Iran had these hostages, and Ronald Reagan negotiated their release, and that's pretty much how he was voted into office. And so, to your point, it was a terrible economic time, but the Mavericks sort of got lucky in their investment in the NBA because they invested in the NBA right when Bird and Magic got there. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, a seminal moment in uh, sports history, modern sports history, is, and especially if you look at this country and the history of this country, it's so interesting that these two great rivals was an urban black guy and a country white guy. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, respect for each other's game, but there was animosity in their adversaries, and then later they became great friends. But it's such an interesting time to me, and that's, that's my childhood, the 80s, when I'm a teenager. And the Mavericks get here right at the time that Bird and Magic came and saved the NBA. The NBA was in horrible straits when the Mavericks – arrived and mm-hmm. they were able to ride the wave and uh the nba has been great ever since yeah for sure
0: and then also four or five years after the mavericks were founded david stern took over as commissioner mm-hmm. kind of changed the marketing to really hype up larry and magic Stars. and all these great players including many of which were on the mavs yes that they drafted and yes kind of the Stepien rule exists about trading future draft picks, largely due to the Mavs acquiring yes. a ton of picks from Cleveland. From so Cleveland for
1: for uh, what is it called? Uh, franchise draft. Uh, the expansion. Uh, the expansion draft. Yeah. Thank you. The the Mavericks were taking guys in the expansion draft back then. I don't was twenty three teams. I remember how many there were. If that. yeah. If that. Um. So the expansion draft is where I think rosters were twelve, and you could protect eight guys. So the Mavericks were able to draft out of a pool of four guys from each team, and they drafted some of these guys, and some of them were big college stars like Austin Carr at Notre Dame. They then drafted this college star and then traded them to the Cleveland Cavaliers for first-round picks. Mm -hmm. So if you look, in in the 80s, the Mavericks were known as the model franchise. That was a name that was given to them and talked about in sports publications. That was the jargon. The Mavericks are the model franchise because, one, 1981 draft – they drafted Mark Aguirre, number one. They drafted Rolando Blackman, I think, ninth. They drafted Elston Turner in the second round and Jay Vincent, who was a forward with Magic Johnson on the Michigan State team that won it all in 79. They got those four guys.
0: How did that turn out?
1: Pretty damn great. Yeah. So if what when we flash this on the broadcast, Dennis Smith Jr., consecutive uh, double-digit scoring games as a rookie – It's like, oh, he's about to pass Jamal Mashburn. He ain't catching Jay Vincent.
0: 65 straight games.
1: 65 straight games. Jay Vincent. And, dude, it's so funny. If you go back and look, Jay Vincent was not a quote-unquote prototypical power forward of that era. Really, in a lot of ways, Jay Vincent and Mark Aguirre were sort of like interchangeable scoring forwards. Now, Jay Vincent got more rebounds. But as you look at this era of interchangeable forwards, the Mavericks kind of had that in the 80s. Uh, Jay Vincent, Mark Aguirre was the number one pick out of DePaul and him and Jay Vincent were an incredible scoring duo. So these are the games that I'm going to as a kid. So I think Jay Vincent and Mark Aguirre are freaking superheroes. Mm. And actually I'd have to go back and look, but my memory, and it may not be accurate. My memory is that at first Elston Turner, who was a second round pick was starting ahead of Rowe, and then Rowe came off the bench at first. And I'd have to go back and look at that, but I, that's in my mind, Brad Davis was your point guard, obviously. I think, I don't even know if Pat Cummings was here yet at that time. But um, they used to have this, uh, you know, now we have video screens, but it was these light bulb jumbotron boards. Mm -hmm. And the real popular movie in the early 80s was E.T., the extraterrestrial. And so uh you know there's ET wants to go home and then he, his finger glows. So whenever Elston Turner would score the jumbotron would have this <laughs> Elston turn that have this ET hand and the ET hand would go up and touch a basketball and then the f- the finger
0: would glow. Oh that's awesome. It's so gold. That's it's so That's real great. 80s, man. So 80s. Really, yeah and then a couple years after that they drafted a guy named Derek Harper. Yes, and, same draft uh, as Dale Ellis. Yeah, Those who guys was were drafted also very good and ninth then they and drafted 11th. Detlef Schrempf who yep. ended up having a great career yep. uh for other teams but Another hit on a draft pick. They got Roy Tarpley, who, unfortunately, his career was cut a little short, man. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they – they the they Mavs hit. killed it in the 80s. They and hit. At that time – I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I obviously wasn't alive. But just from reading a lot of books, and, uh, at that time, it wasn't a 15-person front office staff. It was like no, here's who you four had. or five guys. Yeah, here's what you
1: had with the Mavericks.
0: Uh, and if there's someone out
1: there that's listening that was part of this, and and uh, I don't name them, I, for, I apologize – You had, okay, so Keith Grant was, I think his official title might have been equipment manager at first. Keith Grant's still with the organization.
0: Assistant general manager.
1: Yeah. Um, And also used to be an organist for a minor league baseball team, I believe. Is that
0: so? I believe that's accurate. A man of many talents. Yeah, we
1: need to ask him that. He may go, that skin's making crap up. But Keith Grant loves baseball. Um, Okay, so you had Keith Grant, was was like an equipment manager-styled guy. You had Rick Sund, was president of player personnel. The first employee ever. Is that right? Of the Mavericks, yeah. Okay, Rick. The, the first
0: hire, I guess. I mean, obviously Norm and Don. Norm
1: was the general manager.
0: Mm-hmm. But, you know, today
1: when people talk, you know, sports fans go, oh, the general manager, he's making the picks. Rick was the player personnel guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norm was was uh, basketball, obviously, but businessman. Yeah. Uh, Don Carter was the owner. Uh, you had Keith Grant in an equipment manager type role, and your coaching staff was Dick Mata and Bob Weiss, and that's it. Yep. Yeah. And not, that
0: not twelve coaches.
1: No. And 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 there's there's gonna be scouts in an organization and there's probably guys that I never knew of that mm. that helped out in the scouting and they worked under Rick, but that's your front office and your coaching staff. That's it. Yep. Those what five guys
0: or whatever mm. it is. Making all those decisions. There was a
1: trainer too. Uh Doug Atkinson was his name. I never knew him. But mm. you know, so you have a, a trainer on staff for – Turned ankles or whatever, but yep. that's
0: that's all it was, baby. Yep. And those guys made it happen. Yes. Built a team that would eventually, in nineteen eighty-eight, take the Lakers to Game Seven in the Western Conference Finals. So painful. And yeah, I'm I'm sure it was, man. All that my, stuff, my, though. My to, dad still ruse that ruse that day. Yeah,
1: but to me, all that stuff uh, just makes two thousand and eleven more incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly and truly. So uh, the guy do the radio show with Ben. You know, we've been friends since we were twelve. He and I lived together in an apartment uh, with our other buddy Kyle. And, the, and when we were in our early 20s, we would watch every Maverick game and they sucked. I mean, this they is, were. This
0: is peak 90s. Oh,
1: yeah. so bad, dude. And they would have these guys on, and I followed college basketball intently and, and knew everybody. And they'd have these guys who were like, who is this guy? What is this team? Lord, who in the hell is Lorenzo Williams? (laughs) Not a bad undersized center, but whatever. He looked like a small forward playing center. He was skinnier than me. But anyways, my whole point is that all of that, all of, you know, people get so excited about the draft, and I do too. But, dude, we had Jamal Mashburn, Jimmy Jackson, and Jason Kidd. Those are three top five picks. The future, and and it still went to S all over again. Very quickly. Very quickly. So there's no guarantees. The rebuild is hard, but... They were the second worst franchise in professional sports in the 90s, I believe, to the Cardinals. Not baseball, of football. And I th- maybe I have that wrong. I thought that's the stat. It might have even been number Single one worst. on that list. Okay. Yeah. So for and a they decade.
0: Had the, had the ping pong balls cooperated, probably wouldn't have been the case. They right. had the worst record a couple times and never right. had the number one pick. Right.
1: So getting to the top of the 80s and not being able to overtake the Lakers and then everything is torn down and you, they traded for all these old guys that were hurt, Fat Lever and Adrian Dantley and on and on. And then the 90s were brutal. And then you get Dirk and Nash and Finley, and then you lose Nash. And, and lose Finley. And lose Finley, too. And it's like, you know, all that heartbreak. And then 2006, they're the best team. I remember walking her. So I'm not going to tell you who at the Mavericks said this because I don't want to blow anybody's spot up. But at the time, I was on the ticket. And I came on Bob and Dan's show, and I did a finals preview, and i am explaining how the mavericks will systematically destroy the heat and how the heat cannot hang and what their problems are and through two games i look like a freaking genius and i'm walking around with a stick in my chest out and then that thing falls apart and then boy the everything unraveled quick you won 67 games and then lost in the first round and so it just felt like we are truly a snake bit franchise mm. And then 2011 happened, and I don't know that I've had one negative thought in my entire brain ever since. It's, it's been so been wonderful. one
0: big afterglow. One big afterglow. Yeah. And, I mean, the peak of that whole thing, whenever you win a championship, it's always a celebration of the entire organization, top to bottom. But that night, with with Cuban allowing David – or well, asking David Stern, really, to, to hand the Larry Ode trophy off to Don Carter first – it's a celebration of the organization's past. It's yeah. history. Who came before and and honoring the people that really deserve. And and, and it, that's know.
1: a great point. I love that you said that because people need to know that Cuban used to be a season ticket holder. So I'm back in the in the
0: pit in the pit in the worst
1: days. Yeah, he made his first millions here with a software company in Dallas. Came down here and did. I don't know how he got to Dallas from Indiana, but uh, and so you know he bought season tickets because he's a basketball guy. So he was looking around at what reunion was and the disinterest and going, man, this is a great NBA product. Someone needs to buy this thing and fix it up, and he did, right? But he is a part, and much the same way I feel like as a, am a part of Maverick history as a fan, you know, because I was there for all of it. So was he. He was just able to turn that into something on a much greater scale that then we all reap the benefits of. Mm. If you had told me, Bobby, that when I was 12 – or 13, and I'm sitting in uh, section 116, row J, seat 7 and 8 with my dad, and I'm watching Derek Harper. If you had told me then, hey, dude, in 30 years, you're going to be sitting next to Derek Harper or talking about this on TV, I would have thought that no one's ever lived a greater life. Yeah. So in that regard, I feel just – I know it's corny. Oh, I feel blessed. Dude. I'm so freaking lucky.
0: When I was in Section 118 at Reunion Arena, two sections over from you, man, and I I still remember – I mean, I'm a young guy, but I remember the days whenever a win was like, oh, my God, they won a game. Like, they would play – you know, blast like celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> like they beat, you know, the Magic in a February '98 game, and it's like they won the NBA title. You you, know? you
1: were talking the other day, you and I were talking because Cedric Sabalas has been on the pregame and postgame show some, and you were talking about that him, shot him hitting the most, the biggest shot of your, or the first
0: big shot you remember as yeah, a young yeah. Mav fan. Yeah, so this is March of 1998. Uh, the Mavericks hosting the Bulls. Michael Jordan, his last season with the Bulls, that they would go on to win their sixth championship uh, that that spring that summer. And uh, the Mavs are down. I want to say fourteen points in the fourth quarter. And I remember waking up that morning actually and not wanting to go to the game because I thought the Mavs were going to get annihilated. And yeah. I was seven or six or seven at the time, so I'm thinking like I only want to go if it's going to be a fun game. But, right? Like, it's going to be crowded, and the Bulls are going to kill them, and it's going to be awful. And uh, sure enough, the Bulls got off to like a huge lead, and they were up double digits the whole game. Suddenly, turns to the fourth quarter, and like just everything goes awry for the Bulls. Uh-huh. Jordan misses a couple shots. Steve hmm. Kerr missed a layup. Uh, Tony Cook Kuk- or Scottie Pippen got called for a five-second violation. All of a sudden, the Mavs I forgot have a about chance. that. Yeah,
1: I, I, I you know I haven't seen all that in so long. But when you said the Scottie Pippen violation, I could see it yeah, now. And I,
0: that's the Mavs are down three at that point, and Pippen is trying to inbound the ball, that's right. and he can't five-second violation. So the Mavs get the ball. And I mean, it's one of the few instances or the earliest game in my life where I remember being in a sold out arena. It was <laughs> insane. And that's you know, there were no digital cameras. Everything is flashed, so the cameras are flashing. It was nuts. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, and I'm in I'm in one eighteen, so I'm right behind I wanna say the the Bulls bench was on that side of the floor. It might have been the Mavs bench. I don't remember. Uh,
1: so, I was behind the Mav bench in 116. So, you were probably two sections over to my right. So, I so you have would been. have been behind the visitor bench. Okay. It's flip-flopped in the AAC. Okay. In the AAC, the Maverick bench is where the visitor bench was at reunion. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. I just remember being behind a bench because yeah. it was – more tall people to look over and i'm six years old so the mavs get the ball there's probably 10 seconds left i'm standing on my seat you know this little kid looking over i still can't see a thing apparent i mean i've seen the replay obviously somehow the ball ends up in cedric sabalas's hand in the corner with like two three four seconds left on the shot uh, on the, on the clock and he takes some bs fade away <laughs> like fading out of bounds he ends up in the third row swish Goes in with like three seconds left. The place erupts. It's a tie game. Tony Kukoc ended up missing uh, a finger roll on the next possession. To oh win my the game. God, I don't remember that. Yeah, it goes into overtime. Literally, wide open layup, just spins off the rim. Wow. And uh, goes to overtime, and the Mavs end up winning the game. And they ended up sending a video. Don Nelson stood in front of a camera and broke down the film. Uh, And they made it into a season ticket holder video. Oh, how great! Yeah, it's called called Unforgettable. It's on YouTube. I'll uh, I'll tweet out the link to it. Oh my god, I love Uh, it. Yeah, it was it was great. But anyway, I mean, that was you would have thought they won the Super Bowl. Oh, it was amazing. It was it was incredible, and
1: because we were barely winning as many games as the Bulls were losing. Yeah, that that (laughs) season the Mavs
0: ended up winning twenty games. The Bulls ended up losing twenty games. Oh right. And I thought it was cool. Yeah, like their records. I was like, they're almost like the Bulls. You know, you just. Them that was our
1: Stranger Things upside-down world thing. Yeah. We're, we're in the underworld. And they
0: ended up drafting Dirk uh, f- a couple months after that, and boom, the rest is history. Awesome. But, yeah, anyway, it's, it's fun reminiscing, man, and, and rest in peace to Don Carter, a yeah, guy who you will never hear a single person say a bad thing about him. You can't. No, you can't. Um, okay, Skin. Yep. There is a new guy that they drafted this summer who is doing some pretty cool things the way that Dirk was doing some cool things last year his name is Dennis Smith Jr. you might have heard of him. I have. Yeah. That's a rookie, isn't it? Yeah, he is a rookie. Uh he is very much a rookie. Uh this conversation you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. So um one of the things that I guess has been a big talking point with us throughout this whole season if you've been following this podcast is talking about how Dennis has improved or mm-hmm. you know the areas that he needs to improve in where he's made strides. Um a lot of it has to do with getting to the basket, making plays for your teammate, and obviously knocking down some outside shots, but I wanted to look more into one element of his game, the driving game, and a lot of people have been to... This has become a big discussion point, too, really, is the amount of fouls he's drawing or not drawing. Yes. Um and so I wanted to kind of take a look at it and see is he getting quote unquote rooked? Uh, <laughs> even even Cuban's been talking about this on Twitter. So yep. I mean, this is I feel like this is canonical. We can we can address it on this year podcast. So uh, here's what I did. I went to NBA.com Kay. stats.nba.com. Kay. They have uh, player tracking data, and among it, including player drives. Yep. So. I I'd qualified. I I'd, I'd narrowed it down to just qualified players. So I cut out guys that have played fewer than seventy percent of their games. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes guys who have gotten hurt, guys who have whatever. Right. So of those guys, Dennis Smith Junior. is twelfth among them. A uh, twelfth among them. Sorry, my tongue has been frozen in a glacier. Twelfth mm. um, among them in drives per game at twelve point four. Okay. So he's driving to the basket a lot. Who is the most Russ? The most drives per game in the NBA this oh, season. Harden Russ. is. Let's see. Dame. Oh yeah, I'll just I'll, just, you didn't I'll know give you a rundown throw on the top. You curveball, yeah. did you? So Russell Westbrook, okay, eighteen point eight drives per game. Wow, that is a lot. That's insane. That is a lot. James Harden is second, well tied with Dennis Schroeder and Ben Simmons. All of those guys drive at sixteen point eight times per game. Then DeMar DeRozan at sixteen point seven. So Dennis is twelfth at twelve point four. So he's kind of far off the lead, but those five guys in particular are like miles ahead of everybody else. Okay. That's so he, amazing to me that Ben Simmons is in the top five
1: without a jumper that you don't have to respect. It's incredible. Wow. Also,
0: I mean he, he does play a lot of minutes too, so yeah. so I decided all right, well let's look at drives per minute. I'm glad that you brought Ooh, that up nice. actually. Nice. So drives per minute is okay. a little more accurate. Yeah. Ben Simmons is still high there. So Dennis Schroeder leads the NBA and drives per minute at .537. Russell Westbrook second at .519. So that means that those guys are getting into the lane more than one time every two minutes. That's insane. Yeah. Dennis is 11th at .425. Awesome. So whether you go by minutes or by per game, whatever, Dennis drives the ball a lot. Yep. He does not pass the ball very often out of those drives. He does not turn the ball over very often out of those drives. He's about average so Mm -hmm. what i did is i'm using the top quarter of qualified players so these are guys that drive the ball seven or more times per game okay so these are your big drivers yep of that group right there are 61 players in that group dennis smith jr among guys that uh get fouled right Mm -hmm. so this is by free throw rate so this is free throw attempts per field goal attempt Dennis Smith Jr. is 53rd that's dumb. of that group. that's uh, To give me some perspective, give me who's immediately above him and
1: who's immediately below him. So
0: the guy actually, interestingly enough, the guy who's immediately below him. So Dennis Smith Jr.'s free throw rate is .196. So that means that he takes about one free throw for every five shots that that's, he takes on drives. That's crazy. Uh, the guy who's immediately ahead of him is Ben Simmons, actually, at .203. The guy okay. who is he's tied with. At point one nine six is Drew Holiday, and the guy beneath him is J.J. Barea, right? Wow. So, these are guys that do not get any foul calls. Dennis Smith takes 5.1 shots per game on drives. He takes one, exactly one free throw per game on drives. So, he is not getting... He's not getting fouled. That's that's He's not ridiculous. Whistles, but.
1: It's interesting too. It almost supports you said the the beginning of this conversation is getting rooked and there's another rookie right there with him. Yep. Now it's a much more high profile rookie in well, and seven. and
0: also by the I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, other guys who are toward the bottom, Fred Van Vliet, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Dunn, Deontay Murray. These we, are all young guys at the bottom not, of this it's list. Like a
1: bit, man. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating and you know, Cuban's whole point about the officiating for years has been the idea is that we want officiating without bias. And I don't mean bias like the ref wants this team to win or that team to win, but it's the same thing as the idea of a star getting a call or something like that. It's like, no, you got – and it's human for us to do this, but can you strip away the identity and just call the game that you're seeing with your eyeballs? And the thing that I think is really frustrating is that Dennis's sheer athleticism and explosiveness generally – puts people in unfavorable defensive positions. You follow me? It's like if you can – like one of the old phrases, the oldest phrases in defense is beat your man to the spot. The whole idea is anticipate – one of the best guys I've ever seen in anticipating anything is Jason Kidd because even as an old player in his late 30s, who was way – not nearly as quick as the guy he was defending, he was smart enough and savvy enough to anticipate the spot to where the guy was trying to go and beat him to that spot. Mm -hmm. It's an old defensive principle. So what I'm saying is, is if you are covering someone with elite athleticism, they put you at an imbalance defensively on a normal position. And when you are in an imbalance, that is when you foul. You're late arriving. You don't reach the apex. You can't do the things they can do, and you foul them. If you are, we talked about Maverick fans in the late 90s. If you ever lived through the Mavericks trying to cover Shaquille O'Neal with any of these unequipped centers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, my point is that aside from being a rookie, and Dennis has to learn how to draw these fouls For too, sure. uh, but I think he's getting jobbed on a lot of these, and I think a lot of it has to do with the rookie bias, but I think also his sheer athleticism should put him at the line more because he's more difficult to anticipate what he's going to do and to be in the right position to properly defend him.
0: Absolutely. Well I think one thing too, you were talking about his athleticism. He can stay in the air for so long that even yeah. if even if an opposing big man is vertical on the initial contact, right? So if, if there's verticality in the NBA, if you jump straight up and down and your body is not leaning, you're not your arms are straight up in the air and not down, you're not reaching, you're just you're you're a solid target. You can jump and that's fine. Even if the first contact is that, Dennis can still stay in the air and these guys come down. Right. Like, their arms come down on him or their their legs move. They kind of, like, they tilt their body. They they start leaning. And if you make contact that way, it's it's a foul. Yep. But there aren't many guys that can hover like that. So nope. I, I mean, the referees are not used to officiating that, I guess.
1: I think you're right. But
0: I want to run you down the list, actually, of... Uh, where Dennis will eventually be, I think, once he has more of a a reputation. Okay. So there are 17 players uh, in that top 61 group with a free throw rate of .4 or higher, meaning they take at least two free throws for every five shots they take. So that's a lot. Yep. Right. And these are names like Blake Griffin, Damian Lillard, DeMar DeRozan, Lou Williams, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, Eric Gordon, Steph Curry, Paul George, Giannis, James Harden, Boogie Cousins. What do all of those guys have in common? They're big names. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I was big I was names. sitting there trying to think of something
1: more uh, concrete, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, a, a lot of them aren't point guards, I right. would say. Steph is, but most of them are two guards or forwards where, you know, if you're a point guard and a big guy blocks your shot, they're just going to say it's because you're small. Right. If LeBron gets a shot blocked, it's probably because he was getting held onto, you know, right. or something. But those all of those all, guys, those guys are all stars.
1: Yeah, they're all stars, and they all have the ability to attack at their position. Like Boogie, for example. I, one of the things I'm so fascinated—I hate the Achilles injury. It just crushes me because he's such a unique player um, and so fun to watch. But I'm uh, fascinated by the attacking big off the dribble, mm-hmm. and Boogie is embodies that more than anything. So it's like, you know, it's like even an old school head like Harp. It's like Harp will get frustrated. We shoot a ton of threes. Harp gets frustrated. When the threes aren't going in, because he's like, when the threes don't go in, you attack, 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 attack. That's an old basketball mantra. He believes in it. I believe in it. A lot of people believe in it. Mm -hmm. And the guys that attack get to the free throw line. And you're listing a bunch of guys that have the ability to attack. It's so hard for someone to stay with LeBron or Paul George who are that big and have handles that, you know, that adept at handling the ball. So. Mm Um, it's so hard to stay in front of them and play proper defense, and the byproduct of that is they get to the freaking free throw line.
0: Yep. When well, you
1: settle, you don't get to the free throw line, and I think the basis of this argument is there are times when Dennis settles, but for, for sure. the most part, the numbers bear out he is attacking.
0: Yeah, he's going. And guys at the bottom of the list: T.J. McConnell, Ish Smith, Deontay Murray, Chris Dunn, Berea, Dennis Smith, Jeff Teague. These are not all stars. Yeah. And they don't get calls. So you know one of the reasons back bur- to life, man.
1: Uh, Abrea probably should get more calls, but one of the reasons I think he gets fewer calls too, though, is because he is a shorter player, and, you know, he's a great athlete. He's a world-class athlete, but compared to the NBA, and now that he's older, he doesn't jump off the page with his – he never jumped off the page with his athleticism. He was quick. He was quick, but his strength. Yeah. It was his strength more than anything to me. Um, But my point is that if you watch J.J., he's a master of release points. Because he does have to think about getting his shot blocked because of his size, so usually he is releasing the ball before the contact is going to be there. Dennis is so high up there that he's not thinking in terms of "oh, I gotta get this shot off" because he's used to just "I'm just gonna get over this person." Yep. So, uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why Berea is further a little bit down the list, and that has to do with release points. Mm-hmm.
0: He's about as far down the list as you can get. Yeah. But uh, I yeah, I think Dennis believes that he can finish over Rudy Gobert. Maybe he can. He needs to rethink the Gobert thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, guys like Harden, for example, Harden is an unbelievable player. He's incredible. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. But whenever he drives, he's looking to get fouled. And you, you he's know, not where he gets
1: you know where he gets a lot of fouls too. Though when we talk about balance, it's it, to me the guy he's most like is Ginobili, and that is has to do with now uh, Harden's thicker, right? But it has to do with the handle, the size, being left-handed. In the hitch both He's herky of those jerky man both of those guys got a hitch and it's it's really hard to anticipate where that direction is going and we, again we get back to this balance idea be, you know being able to stay balanced and stay in front of your man and be in the right position and when you start Go in a direction, and that's where you lose your balance, and that's where you foul. Mm-hmm. And you know, yes, Harden gets to the line, but he does—he draws a lot of these fouls in sort of the mid-range area. Yeah, same as Ginobili used to, because that's where you're really going. Oh crap! And you're suddenly on skates, and he's got you.
0: And you know you're beat, so you're trying to just make a last-ditch swipe right. attempt, and it usually doesn't work. Right. But uh, anyway, so I just wanted to give those numbers because that kind of shows that. Maybe it's next year, maybe it's five years, but eventually Dennis is probably going to take more than one free throw for every 12 drives to the basket. So uh, I just want to say that. Okay, Skin, let's do some uh, kind of rapid fire. Oh. I have a few things that I want to ask you. Okay. Maybe uh, just a a couple quick thoughts on all of them. So your thoughts on the dunk contest. Dennis will be there. uh, We're recording this on Friday, so he might be there tonight. He might be there tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, he will eventually be at the dunk contest. Wait,
1: I'm confused. Is the challenge, the rising stars challenge tonight? The
0: rising stars challenge is tonight. So he'll be Friday. there for that. Well, he'll be there for that. And then he'll also be at the dunk contest. Right. Okay. Yep. So, but he might have already played by the time people listen to this. Oh yeah. That's a good point. So we may or may not be in the past. Okay. But the dunk contest is certainly in his future. So, uh, what do you think we can expect from him on J. Saturday Cole. night? Cole. J. Cole. J. Cole. Okay. I think J Cole will be involved.
1: I know for a fact that J Cole is in Los Angeles doing stuff. He can right also now. play. Is yeah. what I've heard he's, he's got pretty some, good. He's got some skills. Uh, I was, I went back. Uh, a buddy, uh, a new buddy of mine that I met. She writes for uh, SB Nation. I met her at the Super Bowl, and she hit me to an oral history of J Cole's basketball career that she wrote. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's really good. I'll tweet yeah. it out. Okay, her name's Natalie. She's great. Um, I'll tweet it out, and then. Uh, and so it kind of talks about his basketball career. You know, he didn't make his basketball team at first. He was like a playground-type player and thought he was great and then didn't have the skill, so he worked his tail off. Mm. I don't know why we're getting into the J. Cole stuff here, but I think J. Cole will be involved in the dunk contest. I don't know that to be a fact, but I know he's there. Yeah. And so I would be surprised if J. Cole is not involved in this dunk contest.
0: Are you brave enough to say – in front of god and everybody on yep. this podcast that Dennis Smith Jr is not going to win the dunk contest. No, I think
1: he's going to win and and, and it's and the reason the main reason is because you know the other guys that are in the contest uh, did Donovan Mitchell replace it's Donovan, Mitchell, Donovan right? Mitchell replaced someone. I think, I yeah. Know. Donovan Mitchell replaced Aaron Gordon, who I can't remember. I Is think Aaron so. Gordon yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's, um, he's sidelined with the shoulder. Thing. So I think it'll either be Dennis or Donovan Mitchell, and I think Dennis's sheer ridiculous athleticism will will win. But usually, like Fred Jones won a freaking dunk contest. It's usually a guy that people in the modern era that people haven't seen this stuff yet. Mm. So I think it leans towards like Victor Oladipo and. Is it Larry, Larry Nance, Nance Jr.? Jr. People have seen them, know what they can do. I think it's going to be one of the rookies and I and I'm going to go with our rookie.
0: I also think that as a big man in in Nance Jr.'s case is you really have to do something amazing as a big guy in order to win. Like, you have to dunk over a car or you have to dunk over a mascot and, like, go between your legs like right. Aaron Gordon did. Like, you or have to be do something a, look incredible. like in air you're
1: laying on a couch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just something yeah.
0: absurd. Yeah, because it's kind of just a biased thing.
1: Now, you know, uh, Larry Nance's daddy won a dunk contest. He did back in the 86? day. 86? Also no, that's playing Spudweb, when playing with the Cavs, I believe. Uh, he won the dunk contest playing with the Suns, but okay. later played for the Cavs. Okay. Mark Price and, uh, you know, that group of guys. Brad Doherty. Brad Doherty, absolutely. Um, I could be wrong with that. I thought he was a son when he won that.
0: Um, well, now but, he has a son.
1: Okay. Now, would, uh, should Larry Nance Jr. roll his dad out for the dunk contest?
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting because it's his return to LA, uh-huh. so now he's a Cav. So is he going to bring another former Cav? Are they going to like have a, a Lakers jersey burning thing? Like <laughs> how, how how far is he going to take this? He needs
1: to get creative. And if I remember correctly, so Larry Nance, I, thought, I think he was like six eleven, dude. The original Larry Nance, and I and it was just like if you go back and look at those dunks, it was like. He
0: does kind of a half split in the... It's like not even good dunks.
1: (laughs) It has changed so much. In
0: the last really like 10 years. Yeah. I remember Paul George was in a dunk contest probably, I don't know, 2012, 2013. And he did some like 360 windmill something with like the, the stadium lights were off and everything was black lit and it was freaking awesome, and he got like fourth place. Yeah. I'm because, thinking, man, if he did that 20 yeah. years ago, it would be like the best dunk ever. Yeah, they would have burned the building down. Yeah, but he, I don't even think he was a finalist that year. Yeah. So show some respect to Paul George. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that, the dunk contest is going to be on Saturday. Make sure you watch that. Um, skin, the yeah. All-Star break is long. Give me some recommendations. How should I spend my time? Maybe there's an, an album I should listen to. Maybe there's a movie I should watch. Maybe there's a show that I should keep up with. Yeah, okay. And, uh, for the listeners too. What what do, what do you got for me?
1: Okay, so this is the time of year where I definitely need to devote some time to wifey because she gets so neglected during basketball season and the kiddos too. Um, so one of the things I would recommend. First of all, I think we need to and, – and I, I don't – are you a single guy, Bobby? Yes. I think we need to do a win a dream date, blind date with Bobby Carella. Wow. Maybe a contest through here. Is that a prize or a punishment? It's a prize, dog. Okay. Okay. Think about how many uh, ladies out here that are Maverick fans that are listening to us going, God, if I could just meet that Bobby Carella.
0: With those mellow, mellow, dulcet tones. Dude,
1: it would be amazing. Yeah. So we need, we're going to construct a win a dream date with Bobby Carella contest. Okay. Um, but – that's not going to be able to be done during the All-Star break. It's right. too soon. I mean, we're just conceptualizing
0: this yeah. right now. There's, this is down the road. This is
1: down the road, but this season we need to get it done. Okay. Um, so I would say, uh, why don't you do the Black Panther double dip? So Black Panther comes out today. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the soundtrack yet? It came out I last have. week. Yeah, pretty good. So, like, you can roll around and listen to the Black Panther soundtrack on the way to go see Black Panther. My son, is, uh, Desmond, is uh, 10 and uh, Black Panther is PG-13, but I'm going to go ahead and, and make the call, and I think I'm taking him to see Black Panther on yes. Sunday. Yes, do it. Yeah. Do it. Um, there's a show I'm watching on Showtime called The Shy that's really, really good. The Shy? Yes. it's. Uh,
0: and that's about Chicago and not about like people that – are, are anxious and nervous and, and yeah. staring
1: at the ground. Uh, Common is one of the executive producers. And then this girl that is from, this lady that's from Southside Chicago that writes for Aziz Ansari's show, Master of None. Okay. She's won an Emmy. She created it with him. And as you know, Chicago is has this terrible problem with gun violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so gun violence is the kind of the backdrop for just this group. There, and there's a really good narrative going on. Uh, that's unfolding, uh, but it's a lot of it is about how gun violence affects a community. But there's really interesting characters. I think especially like, for lack of a better term, the quote unquote hood drama. There's usually the depth of characters, like the variety of characters, is not there. Man, this show I think is more realistic. Mm-hmm. It's like there's all these different kinds of characters. Like my favorite character on television right now is this like nine year old kid on the show they called Papa, and he's just really funny.
0: Is that the kid from Moonlight? No. Okay. Uh, but that
1: is a great character on the show too. It's okay. his buddy. Gotcha. Okay. By the way, have you seen Moonlight? I have. Moonlight's great movie. A great movie. And that, that kid,
0: super, super, super talented. He's awesome. You got to be
1: in the right mood to see Moonlight though. Yep. It's It's a downer. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then I and so I highly recommend The Shy. That's a great show. And you can jump in now and it comes on Sundays on Showtime and get caught up pretty quick. Okay. Um, and then uh, you could do the Black Panther double dip. Uh, but if you want, if you're uh, an NBA guy like me and you. This is a good time to maybe watch a little college basketball, too.
0: Okay. Yeah, right? leading up to the tournament. Yeah. Conference play is wrapping up, right? It, yeah. So conference tournaments and stuff will they be start beginning in couple weeks. weeks yeah three weeks something like that so this is when this is when you want to tune in right yeah and
1: the big 12 is an incredible basketball I almost always watch like 95 percent NBA and maybe less than five percent college but it's been a little bit different this year I've been paying more attention and the big 12 is really
0: fun yeah I mean I think it's just better every sport is better whenever your local teams are competitive right. so SMU has been good for a few years yeah. but now we're starting to see like Texas Tech, for example, is really highly ranked, and they, UT has a really. Score
1: is a kid from Burkner, mine and Ben's high school. Hey, there you go. I didn't know Evans, that. yeah, I did not know that. He has a chance for Big Twelve Player of the Year because Trey Young's probably fallen off a little bit, mm-hmm. but and Texas Tech's playing so well, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um, music for me, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to recommend some uh, some '80s sounding new kind of like indie pop okay. rock. So uh, there's a band called Bleachers. Not sure if you've heard of them. I've, I've heard of Bleachers, yeah, yes. They had a new album that came out last summer, I want to say, called Gone Now. Uh-huh. Very good. Listen okay. to that. Uh, have you ever heard of the band called Tennis?
1: Yes, tennis is great. They just came. They did, yeah. Uh, they did played to, in trees. Uh, trees, yeah. yeah I went to go see them.
0: They're touring. Uh, they have, their new album is called Yours Conditionally, and their tour is called Tours Conditionally. Oh, she she's got clever. a very
1: pleasant voice. Yeah,
0: they don't rock out
1: too hard. It's almost like a modern version of yacht rock in some ways. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting too is like their artwork for their albums and stuff looks very much like late seventies, early eighties, and that's
0: their that's their. Their that's costumes, their, their appearance. Their She's got kind of a perm afro yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, he sure. wears like leather jackets and has kind of like a mullet going on. Right, it's awesome. Yeah, cool. So they're really good. Uh, and yours conditionally is kind of eighty sounding too. Uh, band called Lawrence. They're like jazz, pop, soul. Uh, are kind they from of, Kansas? They are not from Kansas. Okay, they're from New York. I want to say. Okay, not I'm not familiar, cool. but I'll check it out. Yeah, they're uh, they're kind of like Randy Newman meets Andy, Amy Winehouse. So, really? Yeah, that's a, it's a wide brother sister singer duo. Okay, and they have like saxes and horns and cool. keyboards and yeah so yeah, right on. check out all of their their albums called breakfast so uh listen to some of that music and then will. for tv shows man i think i need to watch black mirror so i think that's what i'm gonna start i haven't
1: watched it yet my buddy ben is watching it kt has watched it um I hear a le- so, and it's it's not uh, episodic; it's individual. Like each episode is stands on its own. Mm. So, um, and you know, I keep hearing people say it's kind of a modern Twilight Zone with the technology bent. Mm. Did you? Are you a Blade Runner guy?
0: I am not. Okay, don't have you know ever the first thing it? about it. No.
1: Nope. Oh man, can I talk you into that over the All Star break? Okay, is that a sh- is that a movie? Oh my god, dude, it's so amazing! It's a remake. The remake? No, 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 no. So here's the deal. So Blade Runner. Came out in 1981. Okay. okay? So uh, I was six years old when Star Wars came out, 1977. When you're a six year old and Star Wars comes out, Han Solo is the freaking man. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then freaking Indiana Jones comes out. Are you kidding me? Is there anybody cooler than Han Solo and Indiana Jones? So in 1981, uh, they're getting ready to release another sci fi movie, Blade Runner. Okay. So, I'm about 10 years old when this movie comes out. Blade Runner, visually, I would say, I'm not, this is no hyperbole. I, I went to film school. I can, I can argue this with Did people. you really? I did. Uh, not as a graduate. That was my okay. undergrad. Gotcha. Um, Still cool. So, Blade Runner is one of the top five most important visual movies of all time. Wow. Undisputed. It, inv- it, it, it spawned the whole thing that came to be known as cyberpunk. Um, it is a brilliant movie. It's Ridley Scott. Who has done Gladiator and before that he did Aliens, mm. and so basically, uh, it is a movie about identity. It is a movie about um, who is who is your true self. Are you real? But they did it within the context of what they call old film noir, film noir like the movies from the forties yep. that are detective movies and uh, high contrast lighting and shadows and true so, black, true black. There you go. And uh, so keep in mind this came out in 1981, but the future is 2019. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, There's so much pollution, L.A. rains all the time. And Harrison Ford's character, Deckard, is a guy that retires replicants. Replicants are, you know, androids that look exactly like human, but they were created for slave labor. So you have that whole context going on, right? Mm -hmm. And his job is to uh, retire these replicants, and then he falls in love with one of them.
0: Oh wow! Okay, okay,
1: and then he starts questioning whether or not he's a replicant.
0: So it's kind of Westworldy, it's, sort of. I never like, saw Westworldy, but okay.
1: But the, the the incredible thing about this movie is visually freaking stunning. Yeah, came out in 1981, commercial disaster. Okay, I saw it when I was ten. It was above my head. I actually read the original book that it was based on Philip K. Dick, "Do Androids Dream of Electronic Sheep." Way above my head, but I read it because Han Solo was going to be in this. Dude, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Okay. But the movie got a resurgence about 10 years later when DVDs started coming out and people were like, oh my God. Then the director's cut came out where they took away the voiceover narrative and the movie took on a whole other thing. Well, it was always a cult movie. Nerds loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then last year, they made the Blade Runner 2049. So it was Blade Runner 30 years later. And when they first announced it, I was like, oh, God, they're going to ruin this. I can't believe they're doing it. Oh, and the soundtrack was amazing. Evangelist soundtrack, synthesizer score, stunning.
0: Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. This
1: movie's so good. Yeah. So the Blade Runner 2049 came out last year. Ryan Gosling's in it. Harrison Ford is in it. Uh, the guy who made it made that movie. Um, what's the one with the, where the aliens come? Arrival, is that what Arrival? it's called? Arrival, okay. Uh, so great filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Villanueva or something like that. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's the sequel. I'm not going to say it's as good as Godfather 2, but what I'm saying Wow. Is, here's what I'm saying. Okay. Blade Runner 2049 is just as important to the original Blade Runner as Godfather 2 is to Godfather 1. Okay, so it's, here's a central viewing. If it's you're... one of the five best sequels I've ever seen. Wow. It's amazing. It's so good. And I was very like, I don't know. They don't need to F with this. This is Blade Runner. Don't mess this up. Yeah. So what I would recommend is... You have time. Get Watch the director's cut of Blade Runner. The director's cut, okay. And then watch Blade Runner 2049. And if you need me to, you call me after you see Blade Runner. The first one, if you're confused and you have, need some bouncing things off me, you call me. you got my number. And then after you're done, i got a book I can give, give you called Future Noir, The Making of Blade Runner. Wow, okay, so you're I'm serious into this. about this. I'm really yeah. into this. Okay, I, so I, I think I... it's a very important uh, movie in the history of... But the, the way we see science fiction in the future, Blade Runner is so freaking important.
0: Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, you said I have your number. It's 214... That's Ben's number. Okay. Whatever you're about to read. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Yep, gotcha. Yep. All, All right. Well, I, I won't TV. say it then. It yep. doesn't, it doesn't yep. matter. Yep. 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 Uh, okay. Skin. Yes. Uh, real quick. Yep. One guy that you are... Re- one Mavericks player, of uh-huh. course, that you're really interested... Now that we're kind of entering the more I guess experimental phase of the season coming yep. out of the All-Star break, who is one player aside from the obvious Dennis Smith of course that you're really going to be interested in watching to kind of see what what he can do down the stretch? For me
1: is Dwight Powell real. Dude, the last 2 months, uh, I mean I'm the last 41
0: look. games, 67% from the field. He's been
1: awesome. So I used to think, man, Dwight Powell is showing that he's a rotational big. And he's been so good. You know what it's like to me? It's a little bit like Seth Curry last year where I'm starting to go, wait a minute, this is a legitimate NBA starter, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever I thought, okay, you know, could he be that combo guard off the bench? And then I started thinking Dwight Powell's like, okay, this is a legitimate rotational big. And now I'm going, well, hell, depending on who the other big is, this is a legitimate NBA starter, I think. For sure. Uh, So is Dwight Powell real, or is he just playing the best two months of basketball of his life and he can't top it? Uh, I'm because of his athleticism, but more than that, because of his work ethic ethic and intelligence, he's a very smart dude. Mm. I'm going to say it's legit. Mm. So I want to see him continue on the path he's continuing
0: on. It's interesting that you brought him up because uh, just before the break, I asked Rick Carlisle about what Dwight has been doing because he he scored at least 17 points in five of his last six games yes okay and for his entire career before that stretch he had scored 17 or more just three times so he is playing by far the best basketball of his career yes and um kind of asked like what do you why did you start him what are your thoughts about the way he's been playing he said well he's been playing great if you keep bringing a guy off the bench at some point it's going to be diminishing returns I mean Mm. the Mavs are paying him a lot of money right uh and they're going to they have him for two more years after this year, so they they have to see what he can do. That's right?
1: okay. That's the encouraging part I wanted to bring up. This isn't a contract year, folks. No, yeah. This is who he's got the two per- more years. This is the type of person that he is. He's he's li- he wants to live up to the lofty expectations for sure, uh, and that speaks volumes about his character and the type of piece he is. Uh, people see Mike Procopio all the time if they don't know his name. He's one of our player development coaches. He stands out in the NBA because he's shorter and he's bald. Mm-hmm. Okay? I and mean, he's not sculpted like an Adonis, so he just yeah. he just stands out. Uh, but he has worked with Rondo and Kobe, and he's been, been involved in the Boston A. You've seen He is a frickin' legend mm-hmm. in the player development world. He's Kobe's guy. He's Kobe's guy. And so I hope I'm not betraying his trust by saying this, but I asked him, when I was sitting next to him on the team playing one time, we are talking basketball. I was like, who's the best guy you've ever worked with? You know, thinking... or I, No, I said, who's your favorite? Because I think he's going to say, well, Kobe did this. And he goes, man, Dwight. It's like, what? He goes, oh, he goes, he's such a great kid. He's such a... And he just started showering praise. And I'm not taping. This is just two guys talking. And so... I, he is invested in seeing Dwight reach his potential, and Dwight wants to reach his potential, and we're starting to see it. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is an unlikely story. I would have never guessed was going to be a main theme, but it is, and it's awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. He's one of the rare examples where, whenever a team makes pretty significant investment in a player um, up front, he is willing to put in the work to like make it worth make it worth it. Yeah, essentially. And right. another that's guy the, on this team, yeah. Harrison Barnes, is doing the same thing. But but Dwight, I feel like was a little more of almost a leap of faith. Sure. I mean, they were they Hell were yes. giving him a significant contract off of one or two okay, seasons.
1: I think they gave him that contract off of his character.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? They knew that he was going to do he this. He was going to
1: do everything he could possibly do to live up to every single penny they gave
0: him. Yeah. For and sure. that matters. That yeah, absolutely.
1: For sure. I mean, dude, everybody in the NBA for the most part is a great athlete. And a lot of times the things that separate guys from being a guy that can get you 21 night and then score four for the next five nights and being a guy that consistently does it does come down to character and desire and those sorts of intangible things that are hard to quantify.
0: Yeah. And even if he is never more, which I'm not sure I think he will be more, but even if he's never more than a guy who can get you eight and five off the bench for 20 minutes. That's a great career. Great career. Great career. And uh, one thing they're going to do with him down the stretch this year is have him play a little power forward, have him shoot some more threes. Mm-hmm. I think some people might have some concerns about that because his three-point shooting numbers have just never really been even average. Uh, he, ha- he has struggled there. But I, I think it's important to give him a shot to see if he can do it. I think especially now that he's in a rhythm, he's yes. got some confidence. I think right. that matters. Uh, all of that intangible thing. He's not trying to prove himself. He's got a contract, the coaching staff loves him. Yeah. He has an elite NBA skill as a yeah. rim running big. There's no pressure. I think on he was I think
1: it. he was a little miscast at first when they were doing that, and now that they've built him back up as the good rim roller, uh, rim runner rather. Um I think I saw him catch and shoot a 3 the other night that looked so natural and easy, and yeah. I thought like I hadn't seen him shoot one in a while.
0: And last year it's he's like aiming, he's calculating. Yes. He's, it's it looked very He's forced. in a different place to yeah, do it again. For sure. I agree with you. Great point. And hey, if you're a center these days, you have to do these three things. Ideally, if you do all three, you're going to be a stud. You got to be able to dunk. You got to be able to shoot threes. You got to be able to defend the rim, mm-hmm. right? If you can do all three of those things, you're going to be very freaking good. Joel Embiid, Porzingis, Towns, those guys. Yep. Powell can dunk. He is the best rim runner in the NBA on a, on a points per possession basis, which is incredible. Whenever you think of some of the guys he's up against, if he can shoot the three. If he can get better at protecting the rim, I don't think he's he's top-notch at either of those things yet. I think he's got a chance to become a better defender. He's, he definitely has. Yeah. He's not fouling as often. He's not getting beat as often. He's becoming a more solid defender. But down the stretch, if he can show that he can shoot the three, that gives him two of those three or even all three of those three traits. He's a starter Yep. if, if he can do it at that point. Absolutely. He's a starter. And if you can get a starter, starting center at what the Mavs are paying him, you do that every time. For sure. Every single time. So, uh, yeah, exciting player to watch develop, and I'm glad you chose him because he was going to be my answer. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, skin, it's about to be the all-star break, man. You're Let's about to be able to go to uh, to Punta Cana or Puerto Vallarta. Mm. Or, uh, that sounds
1: like more of a follow-all thing. I'm going to be headed to, uh, like uh – Cheatham Elementary School to pick up my kid, dude. I've got a. That's uh, awesome. I got a nine o'clock. So me and my wife are gonna go try out a new restaurant this weekend, and I've got to take my son to soccer practice Saturday morning. Uh, and then you know, I, I I want I'll probably have to tape and watch the Dennis Smith Junior dunk exhibition later because I need to you know focus on the wife there. Uh, Sunday night I will you know be paying a little attention to the all-star game, but I'll be doing other things, but I'm going to take my son to go see black Panther on. I'm using the all-star break to break. Awesome. You know, and I hope you do too. I think you need to break and I think you need to just take on the whole blade runner thing. Oh, for sure. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm
0: glad that you recommended that because as a, as an avid lover of fantasy and sci-fi, that is a movie that has never really even been on my radar. Oh, I can't wait so, for you to, to take it in. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to watching that. All right. And then, uh, then we'll start a
1: Blade Runner podcast.
0: Okay. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> hell yeah. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Happy All-Star break to you, Skin. You too. Happy All-Star break to those of you who are listening. Uh, enjoy your week off. Enjoy Dennis Smith Jr. at the Dunk Contest tomorrow, and we will see you guys soon.